Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Close the window. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, well, we're back. Mike's with us. I told you last week when I did the show and he was under the weather. He is back, but still slightly recovering. And the sad thing is he gave it whatever he had to me. And I've been sick this right. past week. So. Yeah. So, uh, so nasty, nasty bug. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is just going around. Uh, in fact, I tried to tell you right before Walk Talk Radio decided to start is I uh, had an appointment at the clinic Tuesday morning. I was seeing a, a pharmacist about adjusting some medication, and I uh, went and saw a nurse, and she said, it's a bug going around. She said, lots of people have it. Lots of people are suffering from it. She said, It'll go away in about a week. So, and that was Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So it's still a few days to go to completely go away. So, yeah, but no. not fun. <clears throat> if anyone out there has it, then you know our sympathies are definitely with you because we do understand. Mm-hmm. So uh, tomorrow, uh, well, no, tonight. Tonight we actually start the NFL draft now. Let me explain something about the NFL draft. A lot of people who are into it are really, really into it. Okay, this is this is something that people that are into football and all that stuff really are excited about the draft. And those people, I'm sure, are not listening to the program right now because they're all excited about the NFL draft coming up. And it's today and tomorrow and Saturday, and it's when the NFL teams all pick. Uh, college players and, you know, who's number one ranked in the country. And the NFL teams pick based on how badly they did last season. So if you've got a horrible, horrible record, you get to pick first. And it's supposed to be parity in football. All right. But a lot of people are really into the NFL draft. The newspaper sports section, you know, you know I'm a sports fan because, you know, we talked about sports quite a bit over the years here. The sports section of the paper has been talking on and on about the draft and who should we pick and who's going to be available and all that stuff. I am one of those on the other side, which, okay, the NFL draft, but oh my gosh, it's not that big of a deal. 
you don't have to dedicate the whole sports section to it. You don't have to dedicate two or three weeks leading up to it and then everything for two or three days. Now, if you are into it, you'll probably tune into you know, any of the four stations that's carrying it right now and watching the red carpet. And yes, they do have a red carpet for it. They are in Austin, Texas right now. And they have a red carpet for all these college players they're coming in and they go in and then, you know, such and such a team is picking so and so and they go, yeah, and they stand up and, you know, and they get them all that. But the thing is, they have like a 15, 20 minutes between each pick. So it's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now for the next 10, 15 minutes while they decide on it? You know, and it's just, but. So that's going on. And I, I, the reason I brought that up is because. I've been seeing that for the last week or so on, you know, different sports shows, TV, um, newspaper, and again on the news today, they were talking about it. So if you are watching the NFL draft today, you know, good for you, and you can listen to All About Wine later. If you're not, thanks for joining us because you're like me, you know, it's not like a life or death thing with the NFL draft. You know, and a lot of times those players are bust anyway. So, eh, okay. So, that was my editorial this evening. Uh, we got got some stuff to talk about, a few things here. I will try to make it through as much as I can. And if I can't, then Mike said he would finish it. So. <laughs> you know I'm gonna. You know I'm gonna finish it. You're gonna hear this. <laughs> This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on. I know. <laughs> that's, that's my that's my finish. <laughs> that's your finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try and I don't know. We'll I'll I'll zoom back up to the top of the file and pick up something from three years ago or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I think I can get in. You know, quite a bit of the show, though. I get some things to talk about. Yeah. My voice okay. starts going up. I start fading. And, you know, we can always end early. <laughs> uh, the 20th of April, Washington, D.C., 24th of April, New York City. One more left, Las Vegas on May the 5th. That is, what, a week from tonight, I believe, isn't it? May 5th? No. One, two, three, four. A week from uh, Saturday. Is the Wine Spectator Grand Tour. So if you're on the West Coast of the United States, the Wine Spectator Grand Tour is coming up on May the 5th in Las Vegas. Uh, and what was that? Yeah, Cinco de Mayo, May the 5th. So you can do a wine tasting and go out partying Cinco de Mayo afterwards there. So, but that's coming up on May 5th. Uh, the, uh, Grand Tour, Wine Spectator Grand Tour of Wine. Uh, over 240 of the world's finest wineries representing all 90-plus rated wines and all that. And we talked about that quite a bit of, you know, a couple, three months ago. And it's here. It's happening. This coming week, what are we going to do for food? I got it for you here. I told you last week that... Today, the 26th Natural Pretzel Day, it is here. It's a bonus if you have yourself. I, I, again, 
Excuse me. Again, uh, if you, uh, I like soft pretzels, but uh, that's no pretzel. I didn't get one today. But tomorrow is a great day. It's Arbor Day for those of you who uh, don't know that Arbor Day celebrate and plant yourself a tree tomorrow. Uh, tree gives us oxygen and all sorts of stuff, and it could be any tree. So go out and plant a tree. Tomorrow is also National Prime Rib Day. Ooh, I like prime rib. Most people who are carnivores do like prime rib. So. But that is tomorrow, 27th, 28th, National Blueberry Pie Day. I don't know what wine to have with that, but maybe a blueberry wine. There's a lot of them here in Florida. Sunday, 29th, National Shrimp Scampi Day. Monday, National Oatmeal Cookie Day. Um, I'm sure there are some wines that will go well with oatmeal cookie. Monday is also National Raisin Day, which is a grape. So uh, celebrate that wholeheartedly. And then coming up on Tuesday, which is May Day. May 1st is May Day. Uh, get around the Maypole, get your baskets out, go for picnics and all that. That's what May Day is all about. It's also National Chocolate Parfait Day. And since we're coming up into May there, too, National Chocolate Truffle Day hits us on Wednesday. And May is National Barbecue Month, National Mediterranean Diet Month, National Hamburger Month, National Salsa Month, National Strawberry Month, National Egg Month, National Salad Month, or if you can combine that to an egg salad, and National Beef Month. So a lot of stuff. You've got eight different national food months there. And the next Thursday, we'll be back on the program, but to prepare for it, National Raspberry Popover Day. And if you're not into a raspberry popover, National Chocolate Custard Day. So there we go, coming up uh, for the for the next uh, week, and then coming up uh, next Friday, 144th Kentucky Derby. Uh, so that's uh, also National Hoagie Day next Friday. But food for the week. Enjoy your wine with it, and uh, give you something to celebrate with your wine or to try different pairings with your wine, which I always like to point out. It's always always good on that instead of staying with something that you old standbys. I people come into the winery a lot who used to say, Well we just sort of drink this all the time or we drink that all the time and I, I, I shake my head. I'm saying don't, don't, don't do that. You know, stretch out, reach out. There's lots of different wines out there. And if you stay with one all the time, you're never going to discover the possibilities of other things that you may just absolutely love. So when you go into the store and you're so often grabbing a cab or a Merlot, reach over and grab yourself a Syrah or a Barbera or a Zimbabwe. Get yourself something a little bit different. And you may be surprised that uh, lots of wines out there you enjoy. 
So, and try it with food. That's why I go to the list. Got some new products for you here. Um, this is a Blanc de Blancs 2016 Rosé. Uh, it's from Sterling Vineyards in Calistoga. National Distribution. You can check it out on the internet at sterlyvineyards.com. Uh, California winemaker Sterling Vineyards introduced its first ever sparkling wine. It's a Blanc de Blanc 2016. Oh, there's two of them. Oh, there's a comma there. And a Rosé 2016. Uh, two of them, both of them. Both of them sparkling. The Blanc de Blanc 2016 is made from 100% Chardonnay grape and gives you that classic Chardonnay green apple, lemon citrus pear, and lemon cream, according to the uh, release here, along with a few... Uh, along with a fresh lemon citrus pear and lemon cream. Uh, I just said that uh, on the palate also. Fruit-forward flavors, floral notes, and a soft, creamy texture. Sparkling Rosé 2016 is a blend of 70% Chardonnay and 30% Pinot Noir. Therefore, you get your pink. And is firming and stainless steel to maintain the freshness. A pale salmon pink color. The rosé boosts aromas of strawberries, cherry blossoms, rose petals, and crisp asphalt, leading to a pound of upfront fruit flavors balanced by creamy texture and bright acidity. So they say. The bottles are packaged in silver and rosé gold. 750, and they're actually they're wrapped in that. Uh, 750 milliliter bottles. Suggested retail price nationwide is $35. So again, I brought up sparkling wines. Those are always good for any occasion. You don't have to just stay with uh, one type or anything. They are good all the time. So check those out. Buy yourself some sparkling rosés or uh, Blanc de Blanc from uh, Sterling. House Wine announced the launch of a new limited edition Rainbow Rosé Bubbles cans to celebrate and support LGBTQ equality and love in all of its forms, it says. Between May 1st and August 31st, House Wine will donate $2 for every case sold by the Rainbow Rosé Bubbles cans to the Human Rights Campaign, which is America's largest organization working for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer equality. House Wine Rainbow Cans are an extension of House House's new Rosé Bubbles offered year-round in standard 375-milliliter pink cans nationwide. Housewine has always stood for authenticity and, as a brand, has been unapologetically bold, said Brad Meyer, Senior Vice President of Marketing for Precept Wine, the parent company of Housewine. So it's Precept, I was wondering. In a statement, he said, Inclusion and acceptance of all kinds of love are worthy of celebration, and we're thrilled to support the 
HRC, or Human Rights Campaign, and the LGBTQ community with our House Rainbow Cans and this special partnership. So, if you want to show your support to that, House Wine donating $2 for every case, which I don't know. It doesn't say here where it is sold or who carries it or anything else like that. I'm sure the big places might. I haven't seen house wine cans in the stores on them, just most of your stores. But it's probably your wine stores. Another one. Bontira Organic Vineyard 2015 Merlot and 2016 Pinot Noir. This is Bontira Organic Vineyards out of Ukiah, California. Internet, Bontira, B-O-N-T-E-R-R-A. Its distribution is national. Adding to its wine portfolio, Barnteria now offers two new wines. The 2015 Merlot features aromas of black currant, black cherries, and a touch of wood smoke with flavors of plums, dark berries, toasty oak, and vanilla spice, along with some soft tannins and a long finish, the company says. The 2016 Pinot Noir has aromas of strawberry and raspberry with notes of oak spice and vanilla. On the tongue, it is rich in soft tannins and flavors of berries, vanilla, and spice that fade into a long finish, it adds. So they say. Both of the new varietals are available nationwide with uh, suggested retail price. For a 750 bottle of $18, which is reasonable, reasonable price, especially for organic. Organic using quite a bit more. A new study, Chicago-based Technomic, its own Winsight company, announced it will embark on a new multi-client study entitled. The Marijuana Effect, Understanding the Implications of Legal Recreational Cannabis Products on Restaurants and Bars. says the study will explore the impact of legalized marijuana on major industries, including adult beverages and food service, which we already know it's it's impacting them. But this is an actual study that's going to start pretty soon here. Uh, although recreational cannabis use still is illegal at the federal level, nine states in D.C. have legalized it. Nine more states are expected to follow suit by the year 2020. And Canada is slated to legalize recreational marijuana use in the summer 2018. In states where cannabis use already has been legalized, the products are regulated similarly to alcohol. With this study, they hope to... Adult beverage consumer usage, attitudes, and behaviors relative to marijuana and cannabis products, shifts in at-home and away-from-home occasions and adult beverage consumption, impact on away-from-home frequency and occasion dynamics, on-premise outlook for adult beverages when recreational use of cannabis is permitted, implications for off-premise purchase of adult beverages, on-premise challenges and needs for restaurant operators and opportunities and strategies for success in the marketplace. 
the study is starting now. They said it will be a, oh, I thought I read somewhere where it's supposed to be a two-year study. Probably not that long. But they're coming out with a intense study to see what marijuana does and doesn't do to uh, the rest of the beverage industry. We have talked about that a few times on the program, and uh, we expect it to make some impact, but well, now they're going to find out for sure what type of impact. All right. Um, let's see. Here, we uh, ancient organic. Let me pull up some stuff here. I've got some things to go over here. As long as I don't use, lose my voice, I will be in good shape here. Um, what is it? Organic, organic. I was going to talk about something organic. We're going to call nature study. <clears throat> oh, oh, okay. This one's big alcohol. Big health study on alcohol. And I've quoted from this study a couple, three times on the show here in the past um, about a... Uh, what they find out, the good stuff about drinking wine and, and alcohol and how alcohol is uh, good for, for your health on that. Well, they're saying that this in-depth medical studies has been conducted with the help from the beverage industry, alcoholic beverage industry. And it's finding that uh, the study would not have existed without funding from different areas of the beverage industry, the, uh, uh, particularly the uh, wine and spirits industry. I had to find that line there. It is a uh, multi-million dollar business. Uh, the editors of, uh, well, uh, John Bauer Sox, a Washington, D.C.-based science writer and editor of the NIH Institute on National Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, so the study was funded in part by the NIAAA, which is the National Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, which is contributing $20 million to the study and is driven by private donations of $67.7 million dollars. Uh, he adds that the study was started in September 2016 and expected to conclude at the end of July in 2026. Wow. Uh, so it's a long-term study, but it is being backed by uh, a lot of leading well, alcohol players reported it's been reported that almost $70 million was invested in the research, which is um, money's coming from Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, Carlsberg, and the wine and spirits giant Bernard Ricard, and a lot of other names. Um, it is a in-depth study that goes into the effects of alcohol on everything. Uh, it's anyone with history of addiction, psychiatric, liver, kidney problems, cancers, family history of breast cancer. And uh, by limiting the alcohol to one drink a day, 
Will it minimize the effects of it? All sorts of stuff they're going into. So it is a big study, and it is a continuing study. And again, I have quoted some stuff on this uh, already that they found out, but they're not done yet. It's still got another eight years to go before this study is completed. It's supposed to be completed when it's in
Frey is one of the names that you see with organic wines a lot on the shelves now, and he's continued to do it. Uh, one of the things was the price of organic wines uh, started to squeeze out the growers and the makers and all that. It became labor-intensive. And some of the other problems, too, was definition of organic, which jumped around a lot, uh, called natural, raw, or sustainable wine. And as organic wine standards were developed in Europe and the United States, debate rose over the use of sulfites in the wine. And if that was actually allowed, and to what level sulfite could be used, and if it was even allowed at all to be added to a wine to see if it was organic. And as a side note now, no, uh, sulfite-free wines, organic wines are very limited on sulfites. But by 2010, organic wine had become popular in fine dining restaurants in major cities like Paris and New York. And Copenhagen restaurant Noma featured a wine menu made up of entirely organic wines. Um, so, therefore, a lot of the opposition to organic started to fade away. Uh, Sweden's system, system, I guess that's pronounced, the state-owned alcohol monopoly, expanded the sale of bottles of organic wine by displaying them in shops. Uh, in 2011, 6% of the wine sold at system biologic Belagic, I guess that's how it's pronounced, was organic, but by 2016, that number jumped to over 20% of all wines over organic. Uh, it's, it's changed. The purity and taste and charm of the wine tradition and all that uh, has changed. People are starting to seek artesian wines, craft wines, just like craft beer, and organic fell into the craft category. And uh, organic became part of a symbol of localized and also the greening movement. And it became a major interest in organic products uh, by the late 1900s. And it seems to have caught on for a lot of people by the early 21st century, early 2000s. Then particular biodynamic wines and secured a special place. Uh, those who were into organic wines uh, started to look at the uh, or, uh, biodynamic. And I've talked about it. If you want to get yourself filled in of biodynamic wines, you can check back on archives. Um, oh, wow. I, I'm going to have to say three years ago we did a quite a bit on biodynamic, and we also interviewed a winery in Northern California who was biodynamic, which was really quite interesting. So that came out uh, and started to uh, make a difference, too. They, uh, a quick thing on biodynamic, uh, they, the whole thing is based on a Rudolf Steiner, who is an Austrian philosopher from the early 1920s, who uh, says that the earth and universe and everything is interconnected. So planting and other activities are coordinated with the movements of celestial bodies like the moon and planets, 
and special compost preparations, which are buried in the soil and sprayed on the plants. And uh, it, it was a niche thing that remained in uh, agriculture until the 70s, but then it gained some more traction in Europe and had some large followers in Germany. And it's becoming more and more popular. Um, you can find biodynamic wineries throughout the world now. There, there's quite a few of them. But again, if you want to find out more about biodynamic, check out some past episodes where we've talked about it. But because of biodynamic, organic is starting to pick up more again. People are starting to look at it again. Uh, at first, they said there's no difference in it. And I still question that. Uh, I've mentioned this before, and I will continue to mention this again. What is the taste difference? It might be better for you. If that's good, then that's good. But what is the taste difference between regular organic and biodynamic? But uh, sustainability, I believe, is a good thing. We've talked to quite a few wineries that are into sustainability and using things over and and recycling and all that, which is a lot part of their organic and biodynamic systems. So, But organic is actually picking up, catching on. It's out there more and more, uh, not quite to the point where they expect it to be by this time, not quite as strong as they expect it to be by this time, but it is continuing to grow and a little bit at a time, but enough it to uh, enough to continue. Mm. Oh, this one. We've talked about this before. This is, why is wine good for the heart? It's good for the heart because it's good for the heart. We've already said a little bit of alcohol is always good for the heart. Is it the alcohol? Is it the resveratrol? Or is it both? And a new study has just found out that it's a little bit of both, actually. Uh, heart healthy, uh, the French paradox, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the observation of a link between regular wine consumption and a low incident of heart disease in countries such as France, where the diets are typically high in heart-hindering fats, has spurred an influx of wine and health research since it gained attention in 1991. 1991, I didn't know it was that recent. In the decades since, they've studied and found that cardiovascular health is greatly benefited with wine. And it's something unique to red wine. Some people think it's the ethanol in wine that helps and confers the health benefits, while others think it's the components such as resveratrol, quercetin, and elegic acid. Let me click on that. I can click on elegic acid. That has a, a compound found in red wine, improved liver health. There you go. That's what allergic acid does. And improves liver health. Uh, oh, that's a good thing. Uh, that is also striking. When you examine the fatty tissues on a microscopic slide, 
You can see the cells are just filled up with lipid droplets, whereas a normal liver cell would appear free of lipid droplets. So red wine helps the liver. Let me just start drinking. I have a... <laughs> you know, they say too much drinking is going to cause the liver to go bad. So, I, you know, it's, it's catch-22, I'm afraid, on that, isn't it? But um, <clears throat> that's elic acid and quercetin. Let's check that out, too. Uh, great compounds could help with depression. So that's what quercetin does, help with depression. So, even more good things about it. And we'll probably find out even more as they do this study I just told you about, too. But, these are all good stuff that is good for uh, the system with red wine. Uh, the hemostatic system, which controls bleeding and blood clots, seems to be positively affected by wine, uh, specifically in an alcohol in general. The platelets uh, show a positive effect in the wine uh, microconstitutes and lowers uh, fibrinogen, so which is attributed to ethanol. So lots of stuff. It helps the lining of blood vessels, it says here, also, and all sorts of stuff. So uh Red wine is good for your heart. It's good for a lot of other stuff, too. It's just We just keep coming up with more and more things here until we see another study that says, no, 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 that's all wrong. It doesn't do anything for you. Uh, it doesn't do anything for you, but, you know, cause problems and everything else. And, you know, they, they go back and forth. Uh, let's see. Now, this next article here, if I can find where it is. Let's see what that says. Arizona wine. So we want to take a look at Arizona. The Yeah, I know. My engineer just pointed out that my voice is, is fading here. I can hear it. You know, if I can struggle through another 10, 15 minutes here, then Mike won't have to take over the show. Uh, <laughs> Could be a good thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> uh, there we go. Arizona. It's, if you think Arizona wine doesn't compare to wine made from Sonoma or Napa, you're right. Arizona wine doesn't compare, but not for reasons you might think. Southern Arizona Director of Sales for Quench Fine Wines, a Robert Leo Party has been working on his way through the industry for 40 years, and he represents wines from around the world, including Arizona. He says, I think you have to understand what Arizona wines are, what the history has been, and how young the industry is. You can't compare it to Napa, because it's not Napa. It's different. If you want to compare it to any place, compare it to the Pacific Northwest. Uh no winemaking is as old as history, but fairly new to Arizona. Uh, within the past 40 years, Arizona has really made a name for itself. Uh, when compared to Napa and other areas, which were pioneered in the mid-1800s, Arizona has only been around for since like the mid-1980s. Um, 
be. Arizona is usually stereotyped as being dry and hot, but the higher altitude towns south and east of Tucson, which, you know, I've, I've told you about that. And in fact, we'll get back to Arizona again on the show in probably a year or so. And we never interviewed people from any of the wineries in Arizona. We didn't start interviewing until we got, like, into, I don't know, California. Yeah, uh, he wasn't interviewed. I talked to him, and then I talked about him. Uh, Joshua, oh, geez, no, got a blank on it. But, yeah, I talked about him, and then I, I met him, but he wasn't actually on the show. But he is from uh, the Elgin area, south of Tucson. That area is uh, really higher altitude. You can really tell the difference when you're down there in that area, uh, how the difference in the temperatures and stuff. These areas uh, are growing the Vitus vinifera family and soils similar to Italy, Spain, and areas like that. Uh, just, I don't know. Did they, have, they didn't mention them. I looked at this article trying to find uh, the uh, Spanish varieties, uh, especially Tempranillo, seem to grow very well in Arizona. And uh, Arizona is one of only 25 states that federally recognized wine regions, known as American Viticulture, as AVAs. And not all of them have it. You're absolutely right. So Arizona is one of 25, one of half the states in the country. And they have been recognized by Wine Enthusiast Magazine as some of the uh, best places uh, to visit and to see wine. They, the business is young and it's exploding. Uh, don't go there trying to compare it to Napa or to some of the old established areas. Go there and try some of the wines that are young and new and fresh. And let me tell you, uh, what is his name? That's driving me nuts, the name of the winery. Uh, Chief Joshua Winery. Chief Joshua Winery. And uh, Keith Joshua Winery, and Keith is his name, Keith Joshua. Uh, that's his first and middle name. Keith Joshua Winery is a good example. He's got a lot of vineyards planted, a lot of different grapes, and he's doing a great job. He studied in there uh, in uh, Australia for uh, years before he opened up the winery here, uh, there in Arizona. And he, he just does a beautiful job. And some of the others I visited down there were just fantastic. So... Uh, get a chance. Check out some of those in Arizona. Uh, uh, they're they're not uh, uh, not Napa or New York. They're Arizona, and it's it's a good thing for them because they are doing a, a wonderful job at what they're doing there. Um, they, uh, if you visit in the summer, though, don't expect them to be shipping anything to you because every winery in Arizona refuses to ship anything from uh, like. May through November because it's so hot. They're afraid the wine's going to be ruined in the shipping, so they don't. But uh, Arizona wines, uh, just some some great wines there. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's look at this here. And. 
Oh, okay. Let's visit it one more time. And that is the fires in California back in October. Uh, oops, I don't want that. Uh, wine country leaders say the industry largely was unaffected by the October fires. Oh, here's a couple, three pictures here. Now, these are just... I'll go back and show some old pictures. And some signs, thank you, first responders, and some old fire pictures and stuff. Um, wine country is open for business in California. The uh, early look at tourism activity and the impact on the vineyard since October has shown that it's pretty much not affected. Uh, Sonoma's nearly 60,000 acres of vineyards. Just 4% or 2,400 acres were in the fire zones and faced any loss. Of that total, only 92 acres were reported to have experienced any crop damage. Uh, or any damage or crop damage. So, 92 acres out of 60,000 acres in Sonoma County. And that wasn't lost. That wasn't burned down to the ground damage. That was some damage maybe around the edges or something. If you're coming out of the October fire, it is a viable economic resource and the industry did really did survive with very little damage, said uh, well, most everybody, I can quote the names for you here, but President of the Napa Valley Great Roars Association, Garrett Buckland, said that just 126 acres burned in Napa, uh, in Napa Valley. Um, it says, with the grape harvest and much of the wine industry, we're fortunate that largely escaped extensive damage during the fires. Uh, there's been some repercussions since. The long-term impacts are still being realized. Um but there's lots of unknowns. The Some of the wines that were put in barrels, I'm not sure about smoke tank. The hotels have been relatively full since the fires, uh, but some of that comes from displaced families and workers who are traveling around and trying to recover from that. Um, passenger numbers are up at the uh, Sonoma County Airport. And they said that uh, 17% decrease in passenger numbers at the airport during the months of the fire have turned around and now they're up 18%. Uh, they were concerned about the impact of it in uh, Sonoma, Napa, but it's so minute that it's almost a non-issue. Sonoma has more than 425 wineries. And survey data produced by the Wine Business Institute showed that 93% of the region's wineries reported being unaffected by the fires. We've all seen the winery that was destroyed by the fires, Paradise Ridge and Fountain Grove, but that was the only one that was really burned to the ground. They also show that 99.5% of the total grape crop value was successfully harvested in 2017 despite the fires. 99.5% of the grape crop was successfully harvested in 2017. Now, I read that again just to show we've heard horror stories, we've seen things, we've all that, but 0.5%, less than 1%, 
of damage by the fires and are well. I won't. I won't even say that because they said the harvest was successful, and 0.5 percent was uh, was it was less than 0.5 percent of total crop value. So we're talking about an effect that could be from anything. So no problems. We don't need to visit that again because that is. What happened? It's a done deal. We're uh, not worrying anymore about the fires. What happens? We do have to worry, though, about the new drought. We do have to worry about if they do get a lot of rain, landslides, um, and, you know, a lot of other stuff. But the fire, we can now say, Never mind. Uh, all right, let me address this here. Uh, growers are suing Napa wineries for rejecting grapes that they say have smoked taint. Now, after just reading you how little was affected we're getting this there's a couple in Calistoga that is suing Napa Valley winemakers for refusing to take their Cabernet Sauvignon because of smoke taint from the October fires uh, they say that they felt accept and pay 52500 for the fruit that they had contracted uh, they agreed to purchase four to five tons of Cabernet Sauvignon at seven hundred fifty dollars a ton, and full payment was due then in December. But they said because of poor air quality, including but not limited to smoke and ash, they rejected the the uh, harvest. So they're seeking fifty-two thousand five hundred plus interest and reimbursement for cost of the lawsuit. Um, we'll see what happens on that. But according to the other one, there wasn't anything wrong with it. So, uh, you know, and you can't detect smoke taint right away like that either. That's what surprises me on that. When I first saw that and first read that, smoke taint isn't something that you can say, oh, those, those grapes smell like smoke taint. It doesn't happen. Um, and let me see there's something else oh, what is it Glassman uh, Sharpshooter is still in the news we will cover some more than Glassman Sharpshooter as summer gets here again and we start talking about you know the bug coming out and all but it's still around still giving us problems Some system is spitting. It's one of the most antisocial acts of all, spitting. Considered to be a horrible public taboo and a health hazard. Unacceptable in public, in the streets, at parties, and absolutely not 
at another person anywhere, anytime. It is still done at sporting events, though. Boxers and swimmers seem to do it out of necessity. Uh, tennis players do it often. Uh, and a couple of tennis players, uh, well, a cricket player, Captain Steve Smith, an Australian cricket team, has been calling camera spitting. Uh, football, uh, Australian football, you see a lot of players spitting. Baseball, now always spitting. Uh, pitchers and catchers and all that. But what about in wineries? It seems to be encouraged. It seems to be something that, you know, they, they tell you that you need to need to uh, not swallow the alcohol. And people think you're supposed to spit just because it's wine. Well, actually, I used to tell people who came into the winery, please don't spit. It is disgusting. If you can't swallow that little bit of wine that's in your mouth, then don't be drinking wine. You know, it's it's that bad. I had a guy come in who said he was allergic to wine. He still tasted it, and he still spit, and he still swallowed quite a bit of it, I noticed, but he said he was doing it. But spitting has become a competition. If you feel that you need to spit, why not enter a competition? Uh, the best, longest, and most accurate spinning is measured and judged and uh, awarded for your abilities. Uh, you're looking to do a nice, straight stream that's powerful, as powerful as you can get. Uh, and if you're doing tasting, there are 150 barrels. Spinning is very important. Otherwise, you end up a bit drunk. So it's necessary for that. Uh, but uh, two young Adelaide filmmakers have made, now made a short feature film about the artist spitting in the wine world, uncovering the best in the business. Uh, Michelle Williamson and Arrays Howlett have released The Spit on their website. And if you want to check it out, here it is. This is the website, www.thespitfilm.com. And they're speaking to winemakers and experts about the competitive nature of um, spitting in Australia. It does get pretty intense, they say. Here's the rules for spitting. This may take some time, though. It's not something that everybody is born with innately with this ability to spit their wine. Attempt a not dry run in the shower or sink. Put only a small amount of water in your mouth so you're not gagging. Now try to get your tongue involved to guide the stream. Then get a feel for your cheek muscles, which also will help eject the liquid. Use a bit of this controlled muscle force and not a blowing action. And focus on directing the liquid in a clean, medium-fast spurt. Get a bucket to start with and put on an old shirt or blouse before you begin real wine practicing. Do not use that bottle of grains you found in your dad's cellar. You'll get quite upset. Try to hit the bucket. Maybe go outside to the garden. 
try again, and this stage is not a long-distance championship, so bring the bucket or spittoon close. Fact. You will make a mess. And so, spitting is becoming mainstream now, if you will. You know, I still think it's disgusting whenever I see people do it. I've done it, though. I, I, I can't reject it completely because I've been to wine tastings where after about 25, 30 wines, you really have to be spitting. Well, I just, I'm just searching to do it more. Here's a four-minute video about a guy talking about the art of spin. This might be the spit of the art of wine tasting trade expectations. Uh, spitting. Uh, there. So check that out. The winespit.com. Uh, and one other thing, and I'll think I made it through the hour. Spain is the world's biggest wine exporter. The biggest wine exporter is Spain. They ship more wines out of Spain than any other country in the world. And they also sell it cheap. Spain exported last year 22.8 million hectoliters, hectoliters, whereas 22.8 million hectoliters in 2017, putting them ahead of second place Italy at 21 million hectoliters and France at 15 million hectoliters. This represented only 2.8 billion euros in sales for Spain, which Italy's export brought in 6 billion euros, and France almost tripled it at 9 billion euros. This is the average price for Spanish wine. It's currently standing at $1.25 euro for $1.25 for uh, euro for a liter, whereas France is, uh, or I'm sorry, Italy sets at two seventy-eight a liter, and France gets 6 euro per liter of their wine. But the problem is that Spain does not have a market. They sell most of their wines in bulk. Most of their wines are sold uh, in bulk to, uh, in comparison to these other countries. One, uh, 12.6 million hectoliters in 2017 compared to only 10.2 million hectoliters of bottled wine. France is the biggest buyer of Spanish wine. They purchase it cheap in bulk and then rebottle it in France, selling it at a higher price as than table or a table wine. So people say, oh, I have this great French table wine. Yeah, it may be Spanish wine, you know. Um, in terms of vineyard area, Spain has the highest amount in the world, 1 million hectares, which is 2.4 million acres. Um, but again, they sell it in bulk throughout the world. Uh, Spain is, uh, have uh, 
A lot of their wines are exported to not just uh, France, but Germany, United Kingdom, Italy, and Portugal, which accounts for 90% of the exports of Spanish wines. And that saw a 48% increase on the year before of wine exported to China. Uh, France, uh, Spain still holds a big reputation as being pretty decent bottled wine, and the quality is still there. But, you, it's still cheap. So if you're looking for some wines that are decent, pick yourself up some Spanish wines, uh, which, like I just told you, is probably the same wines that you're getting as a French table wine. Oh, I had this great table wines. The wines in France, I hear people say, were wonderful. The table wines, we used to have table wine all the time. Maybe they were Spanish wines. It's a good possibility. So so there you go. Look at that. It's 8 o'clock. I actually didn't make it through the hour. My voice is shot. Now I'm going out now for the weekend. I probably won't have my voice, but I made it through the hour. <laughs> now, the, the, the wines coming out of Spain that, that France you know, purchases, do they have to list anything on their labels? Uh, as far sure. as, you know, this, this isn't actually a, a French good, wine. It's, you know, that's a very good um, question. They label it as Zun Table. I don't know. That is a very good question. I don't know how the uh, yeah. how how that works. I, I they may <clears throat> may have to put it on their you know product of France or something like that. Hmm. So hmm, interesting. Yeah, that. interesting. Um, okay. Well, we will uh, close the show for uh, this month. Actually, this week, this month, yeah. at the end of the month. You're is here, and uh, we will start uh, the uh, shows in May uh, on May the third, next Thursday. So uh, third. that'll be seven p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, May the third will be our next show. And uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in, and um, we will see you all uh, next week. Thank you for the support. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you, and we're gone. <laughs> This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.